0: Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander, the crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet, all hosted by the legendary New York radio-TV personality and proud Harlem American G. Keith Alexander.
1: Well, thank you. I guess uh, that's me. Uh, Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem, America. Today in the What's Hot Spotlight is party promoter, entrepreneur, and talk show host, Jerry Roebuck. He's famous for creating and bringing Black Expos to more than 20 cities around the country. But before that, Jerry lit the spark that fuels the 50th hip hop anniversary. And he's here to tell us the untold story. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say that Jerry Roebuck is what's hot. Hello, Jerry. How hey, are you doing?
2: I'm doing good, G Keith, and thank you very much for having me on, on your show. And um you've had a lot of great guests in the past, and I'm glad to be a part of the alumni soon of people who have been on your show. Thank you.
1: You're quite welcome. Well, you know, it's it's so important to have you today because uh, we are, as I said before, we are having the 50th hip hop anniversary and you were so important to the, uh, the, the hip hop, uh, helping to start the hip hop movement. So we want to find out all about what, you know, and what you did. But before that, I always ask my guests to, uh, let's take the way back machine and tell us what it was like growing up as Jerry Roebuck. Uh, you grew up in Harlem, right?
2: Yes, I grew up in, in Harlem, uh, 128th Street between Madison and Park, um, and I lived there the early part of my life. Uh, went to school in Harlem uh, there, at the elementary school, and then started Catholic school in the first grade right on the 130th Street at All Saints Catholic School, where both my older sister and brother went. And then from there, I moved to a place called Delano Village. Which is on also in Harlem on Lenox Avenue from like 140th to 143rd was a new development that opened in Harlem uh, because the uh, house that I lived in, which was my grandfather's house on 128th Street in Harlem, the city of New York decided this is a time when many people were relocating to Harlem. There was still a, uh, say so to speak, a migration of people from the South, and they needed more schools, so they basically declared eminent domain and took the uh, all the housing on 128th Street, 127th Street between Madison and Park to build this state-of-the-art new junior high school. Uh, so we had to move. And um, so the city bought all the property. I moved to Delano Village. So I lived in Harlem and Delano Village for a few years. And then my father, who was a community activist, he was also involved in politics a little, but also with the Catholic Church. Uh, When monies came through to build housing on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, my father was working with Mayor Lindsay and a very famous priest, uh, Father Gregory, on the West Side of Manhattan, and they started to develop housing on the Upper West Side. And the building I moved to was uh, called Strikers Bay Apartments on 94th and Columbus. So then I relocated out of Harlem, but still was active in Harlem. I uh, had summer jobs at Menacing Townhouse in Harlem. Uh, I went to high school in Harlem, Bishop DeBoer High School. And I went to undergraduate school in Harlem at the City College of New York. So Harlem is always me through living there, education, education. uh, being a, as someone who was always around the community, even though I moved to the Upper West Side. Um, and then uh, when I had my office for Black Expo, that was also in Harlem. So Harlem's in my blood.
1: Fantastic. Uh, real quickly for those people around the country, cause you know, uh, Harlem America, we're trying to connect Harlem with the Harlem's of the world. So there, you took Black Expo to many of the, the, the Harlem's of the world or or the cities where those Harlem's are. Uh, Tell us briefly a little bit about Black Expo for those people who perhaps may not be familiar with uh, the gentleman who actually brought uh, Black Expo to their cities.
2: Sure. Uh, So in the late 80s, I basically was getting out of doing entertainment promotion, fortunately or unfortunately, and was looking for something different to do on a business level. And because I had always done business as much as I could with African-American entrepreneurs, printers, printers graphic arts people, worked with WBLS as a Black-owned radio station. I was looking for something that I could promote these businesses and create a unique event in New York City that would have entertainment as well, because entertainment is in my blood. So uh, I started toying around with the idea in 1987. It formulated by 1988. And then in 1989, I actually did the first Black Expo in New York, at uh, at the piers on the west side of Manhattan. I'll never forget, it was April uh, on Saturday, uh, and I woke up and it was actually snowing. Mm -hmm. So all the fears of would this event be successful, and here I pick a date. It was, remember, April 11th, and I wake up and it's snowing. But luckily, it was a dusting, and the snow didn't stick, and we had a great turnout those two days. And um, like a lot of the things I always envisioned, I said I could take this on the road. So the second year I did Atlanta, Philadelphia, Washington, and uh, New York City again. And it was very successful. And the purpose of the event was to give black businesses an opportunity in a cost effective way, and a, a way to get in front of tens of thousands of people to market their product, to sell their product, to promote their product, because as you know, the radio and media especially in new york of course even then was super expensive so here was an inexpensive way for a few hundred dollars you could be there showcase your business promote your business and get new customers um, who were coming to learn about black businesses and then the other part of it was giving corporate america an opportunity not to just do a feel good and give back some money whether you know they're paying my company but basically we could be in front of our consumers who we value and tell them, we Coca-Cola, we Western Union, we Philip Morris, whoever, Ford Motor Company, we value you purchasing our product. Here's a new product that we have coming out. We want you to know that these are the things we're doing in your community. So I was very successful um, with that part of the expo and i had a lot of corporations who were actually telling me, hey, like originally I was with Pepsi, we've got 16 targeted markets that we target for African-Americans. Let's sit down and figure out how over the next few years we could get Black Expo into those markets. So um, that's another reason why I was able to uh, propel that into a national event because of the corporate support that I had.
1: Okay, so now we want to know how Jerry Roba started out promoting and how that led to the spark that you helped light for hip hop. Sure,
2: so back to to my entrepreneurial start, um, I was uh, 11 years old, moved from 128th Street to to, uh, Delano Village. And as a way of meeting new kids and so forth, I told my parents I wanted to do a little street party thing. So they said, no, I don't want you out in the street. You know, we had to go to the police precinct and get a permit, but we had a uh, like a community park. It's a playground right in front of my building, so they took me to the uh, development rental office and they said, "Oh, you're a resident. Yeah, you could. We'll close off the this the playground for you to have between these hours." And then I charged my friends fifty cents to get in, and I went and got all these prizes and gifts. And we had my parents help me with games, and that was my first. Um, entree un- into entrepreneurism. I actually made a few dollars, which was enough to get some sports equipment. And I, you know, it, it made, it lit a spark in me to be an entrepreneur. So my next introduction, it wasn't to entrepreneurism, but my uh, guard brother, who's my best friend and his sister, who is my guard sister, she was a little older than us and she used to participate in Harlem and what we call CYO, Catholic Youth Organization, was an organization and they had dances at the churches in Harlem in the basement. So All Saints was the first opportunity that I had to go to something other than a house party, but I wasn't supposed to be there. What happened is that this was only for high school kids. It was not for elementary school. I'm in Catholic elementary school. My God brother, her brother was in Catholic elementary school at All Saints School. I had left All Saints to integrate a Catholic high school in lower Manhattan. So I was no longer a student there. So I, my godbrother and I go with his older sister to work in the coat room at this party at All Saints. And we're in the coat room, we're helping these high school kids put away their coat. So the party's going on and no one else is coming in. So we don't have to put check coats anymore. So as bad boys, we say, Let's go on the dance floor. Let's see what these, these high school kids are doing. And G. Keep, as you probably know, at that time in the late 60s, mid-60s, what was going on? Slow music.
1: That's right.
2: My by Corner by, um, uh, the, by the Dells, uh, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, all of these slow records and kids dance the grind. And my godbrother and I, I've just, I don't want to make you laugh too much. But because we were dressed nice, we have high school girls coming over to us. You guys, you want to dance? So we're dancing with these high school girls. And, um, you know, it was my first experience, you know, being at a party like that. And I was very thrilled and excited. And then at the end of the night, when I saw my god sister counting all of the money with the, the members of the club, the money from the coat check the money off of the door I'm like because to me this is like seeing a million dollars is a couple hundred <laughs> I said to myself I got to do this I'm going to give my old parties so that was really the beginning for me and then at my senior year in high school or well, junior year I started on my school planning committee I was involved in organizing dances but my senior year in high school I wanted to give my own dance and my brother as my older brother was a police officer uh, I went and rented St. Paul's Church on fifty, it was fifty, no, 60th Street, and Ninth Avenue. I had the contract. My brother, I couldn't sign the contract. I was seventeen. My brother signs it for me. I have my, my tickets printed. I still have the ticket. And the name of my party was "It's a Family Affair" at the Sly and the Family Stone. That, <laughs> that time, uh-huh. but when my father got wind that I was going to hold a a dance in the Catholic Church, my father was active in the Catholic Church. He says, there's no way something could happen. You're going to hurt the family name. No. And so he calls down there, and he found out my brother signed the contract. He calls my brother, and I had to cancel my party. But I made up my mind that when I get 18 and I can sign a contract, I'm doing a party. So the next year when I start college, at City College of New York, that's when the illustrious Frankie Crocker, was promoting parties at the Raspberry Freeze
1: and other. Uh, Frankie and I, I was producing them for Frankie. Right. And then one of the places was La Martinique. I uh, didn't- and me and Frankie were producing them down there.
2: Right. So I didn't know where La Martinique was, but I heard about it on the radio. And I'm an aggressive guy. I turned 18. I just started college. So I get the subway. I go down to 57th Street and I ask for the owner. And he says, what do you want? And I said, I want to give a party here. And he says, well, we really, you know, we have our own crowd on the weekends and we don't rent. I said, that's OK. I'll do it on the weekday. I want a day before a holiday. So when the next holiday coming up was Election Day and it was a Monday and then but that day in that era was Black Solidarity Day, which is a big thing in the 70s. Black mm-hmm. especially conscious people were into that. So he says, who's going to come to a party on a Monday night? It's a Monday. I said, don't worry, we have no school the next day. I'm going to get all my college friends to come. And he like, looked at me, I really don't want to take your money. But he took my money, and I remember the day of my party, I had been promoting it on campus for three weeks. Even some of my friends, the day of the party, they were like, oh, ain't going to be many people down there. And even my brother, who was coming to do security with one of his friends who was a police officer, we opened the doors at La Martinique at 8 p.m., At 9 o'clock, the club was closed. No one else could get in. And my brother shows up with one of his police buddies around 930, and he couldn't get in. And he's telling the people, no, this is my brother's party. I'm here to do security. They said, well, you're late. We closed the door, you know, (laughs) half an hour ago. So they came downstairs, and they said, there's a guy upstairs. He says he's your brother. He showed a badge. I said, yeah, he's supposed to be working with me. So my brother, he says, I can't believe it. And he's looking around, the place is packed. He's like, oh, my God, you really did it. So that was my first taste of real entrepreneurism and doing parties. And that was the pre-disco era.
1: Okay. So now, all right, we've got about three and a half minutes before we go to break. Tell me now how, start start telling us now how you move into the beginning of the hip-hop. Right,
2: so at La Martinique, it was just mixing records, Johnny Allen, who you know, used to work. uh, But when I started to branch my company out, Jerry Productions, to other places, because La Martinique couldn't hold my crowd, I started to go to other boroughs and see what other party promoters were doing. And I started getting exposed to Pete DJ Jones, Maboya, Plummer, Grandmaster Flowers, these other DJs that I had never heard about, maybe I saw their name on the flyer, and these DJs are doing things different than what was happening at La Martinique. So now I say to myself, I have to expose my college crowd to what I'm seeing these other great DJs doing because they were doing things that Johnny Allen at Club La Martinique wasn't doing. So as I go to the next phase with my business, in renting hotel ballrooms to now accommodate 1,000 people, 1,200 people, 1,500 people, I'm going to go to Grandmaster Flowers and say, come and play at my party because what you're doing out at Reese Beach or what you're doing out at this club in Brooklyn, or I go to PDJ Jones, who's up at the Stardust Ballroom and say, I want to bring you into Manhattan for my crowd for them to see what you're doing and that was the next step of my party promotions.
1: All right. Well, we're going we, to take a break right there. And uh, we're going to let folks know that we're here with Jerry Roebuck. Jerry Roebuck is the guy that helped light the spark for hip-hop. And, we're, and as he tells his story, we're, you're going to find out how he was so very, very important to the hip-hop movement. Uh, right now, I want to remind you that uh, Harlem America Digital Network Is uh, full of podcasts and TV shows and things, and you can download us onto your smart TV. And uh, we'll be right back with What's Hot Harlem, America with G. Keith Alexander. Don't go away. (laughs)
0: Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune and followers for your small business? People listen to them. They subscribe to them and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today.
1: Listening to Harlem, America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out. Check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem, America. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem, America. Harlem, America. Where Coca Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York.
0: You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to one 866 472 That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to GKeithAlexander at HarlemAmerica.com. Now, back to the show. So we
1: have Mr. Jerry Roebuck on because Jerry was very instrumental uh, in the beginning of hip-hop. And because last week we had uh, DJ Hollywood on who was one of the the uh uh how can i say one of the the illustrious one of the luminaries in uh hip hop uh, parties uh and then about 3 days ago they had uh they called me to uh, Fox 5 New York where i used to work uh, as entertainment reporter and they did a segment on the 50th anniversary of hip hop. So I thought it was only, only reasonable to bring in the man who lit the spark. So that's why we're here with Mr. Jerry Robach. And uh, Jerry, continue on with your fantastic story.
2: Right, so now I move into doing uh, larger venues. And at the same time, what's happening is disco is starting to happen. It went from the black clubs, as you know, G Keith, mm-hmm. gay clubs, then the movie Saturday Night Live, excuse me, Saturday Night Fever comes out and it explodes on the national stage, you know, uh, not only in terms of radio, but in terms of, you know, um, things that there were news stories about, you know, disco becomes huge. So that's, that's right. my business grow, because now college students that were a little reluctant, oh, I don't know how to dance, I don't go to parties. Now they want to be at a party. Everybody, especially young people. So my parties are really doing good. But what transpires now at the parties is, as the DJs were now getting these 12-inch records, it was no longer playing a 45, going to the next 45, and it's a good record on the radio, so people stay on the dance floor. You have to blend the record. It's 120 beats per minute, the Tramps, Disco Inferno. Now you have to find another record by the OJs that's 120 beats per minute to keep people on the dance floor because the club owner wanted that. I, as a promoter, I wanted my crowd to come to the party, have a good time, the dance floor is packed, okay? So the DJs are now more challenged to be better, to blend each record, record to record, and also extend the the, the version of that beat to keep people on the dance floor. But something else happens. These DJs were not guys who could talk. P. DJ Jones, Plummer, Flowers, some of the names that I mentioned. If they got on the mic and said, oh, you better stay on the dance floor. The next record coming up is Diana Ross, Love Hangover. Their voices were not radio or assertive. or They had a, a, a tone to their voice that it was like, oh, <laughs> to bring what we would call hype men with them. So P. T. J. Jones got KC, the Prince of Soul, who's still around. Uh, Plummer got a guy from the um, uh, 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 amused Coney Island Amusement Park who used to talk on the rides as the rides would be going, and he he did little rhymes. okay? Uh, all of these DJs started to find a hype guy to to hype up the next record. So now you're not just promoting the club or the ballroom or wherever I'm having the party and it's Jerry Productions and it's the DJ. Now it's the hype man that's with the DJ. So you have all of these different components merging together, making more people excited about going to parties or disco or to the club. And some people would come, oh, I'm going there because Casey the Prince of Soul is going to be there. They didn't mention Jerry Productions. They didn't mention the Hotel Diplomat. They didn't mention uh, DJ so-and-so. They were concerned about the hype man. So now the hype man is becoming the centerpiece of attraction. So I'm using these, these different DJs, you know, who have these hype men. And, of course, I'm hearing about different hype men. So I'm going and I'm seeking people out. And I'm one of the most successful party promoters that. At that time, I had a conversation with a hype man yesterday. He was reminding me of some of the clubs I used to do that I didn't even recall. But in the summertime when school was out, I used to do um, Ipanema on Wednesday night. And on Monday night, I did the Casablanca. So I had two clubs going on weeknights. Then, of course, when school would go back, I would do the big parties you know, uh, um, everything from uh, Election Day, Columbus Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve party. I, I never did New Year's. I should have. Um, uh, winter break, spring break. I did all the people knew me because of those dates. They knew Jerry Productions was going to have something. So one of the DJs that I cultivated, and he's still around, very popular, was a guy named Reggie Wells. And I met Reggie through a young lady that I was kind of her guardian her older sister was my fiance both her parents died so my her and me and her sister got an apartment and she came to live with us so when she gets a little older she she looked at me as a dad almost and she says as a young man is talking to me in high school and you know but I said well if he wants to date you or whatever if he's gonna I have to meet him blah 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 So he comes by the house, nice, clean-cut young man. His mother was a teacher. And um, uh, from there, I said, "Okay, you can go out. You have to be, she has to be back at a certain time. If you're here at the house, on a weekday, 7 p.m., you got to leave. Weekends, you got to be out by 11 o'clock. You know, I set the groundwork. So one night, um, it was a freezing cold Saturday, And I remember, because it was the weekend and it was cold, I said, "Okay, you can stay till about 12 o'clock or so. And I go out to go down to La Martinique to give out flyers. So he asked Deborah, the young, he says, where is he going? It's February. It's like 10 degrees out there. And he's got these papers in his hand. Where is he going? So she said, oh, he's a promoter. So he said, a promoter? What is a promoter? So she explained to him that I gave these parties, because he's a young guy. You know, he's in high school. And Reggie wanted to learn about parties. Fast track, Reggie had to wait about a year and a half because he wasn't old enough. And I rented a venue. It was like a ballroom that I was able to sneak him in to see a party and hear the DJs. And he's fascinated. Oh, I want to do this one day. I want to I be a DJ. So over time, his mother helps him. He gets his record collection. He becomes a DJ. He eventually gets a job at a famous club called 371 up in the Bronx and he's working there for a while and I'm doing my doing my parties and he says Jerry there's this guy here at the club you got to come listen to him it's this DJ Hollywood guy now I hadn't heard of DJ Hollywood you know cuz my parties were in Manhattan part of my strategy was if this era if when you were growing up if you were from Manhattan you didn't go to parties in Brooklyn nobody would shoot you you wouldn't get stabbed But if you talk to a girl at the party, they can see you're from Harlem or you're from the Bronx, you walk different, you dress different, you're going to get jumped. If you were from Manhattan, maybe not Harlem so much, but the west side of Manhattan, or if you were from Queens and you went to the 371 Club, you might get jumped because you're not from the Bronx. So people really didn't intermingle like that in the city And I specialize in doing my parties in Midtown because people could come from all over and they didn't have to worry about these issues of people beefing with each other. It's a different era. Nobody's shooting each other, but people would still fight and things like that. So I go up to 371 and Reggie had told me about this guy Hollywood and I don't understand what Reggie is telling me. He says, no, after the record starts and he introduces the record, he does something with the crowd to make the crowd engage with him. He'll say, wave your hands in the air. And then the crowd will go, wave them like you just don't care. He'll go, hip hop. And the crowd will go, you don't stop. He'll, he'll, he'll do some other chants related to the lyrics. And, and I'm like, Reggie, this doesn't make sense. People want to hear the record. They're on the dance floor. Why do they want to perform when they're dancing? He says, I can't explain it. You just have to come see it. So I go up to 371, long story short, when I go into the club, it's like a hole in the wall. (laughs) And I'm there for half an hour. I don't see Reggie, I don't hear no DJ Hollywood. And the music is just like a disco from like 1974. It's like nothing. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I'm afraid to leave and Reggie says, hey, where have you been, man? I said, I've been here. He said, no, the party's downstairs. We're downstairs, that's where the younger crowd is. And as soon as I start to walk down the stairs, I hear, hey, ho, hey, and this rhyming, and I'm like, and the and the, the staircase is literally shaking.
1: <laughs>
2: I get to the dance floor, I'm just stuck and I'm amazed. Because by now, Studio 54 has opened, Xenon is all the big disco, and I had been to the garage. I had seen. Crowds of 2,000 people partying at a gay club like the garage, ripping their shirts off. You, you know how that scene. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Jerry, I'm, I'm letting you do all the talking, and I'm trying not to laugh at any of this, because uh, for full disclosure, full disclosure, I want the audience to know that I, I'm sitting here with a broken rib. I broke my rib the other day, and uh, so I'm in pain, but the show must go on. And that's what uh, we're having here we're, I'm sitting here and letting Jerry do all the talking. Go ahead, Jerry. Okay.
2: So, you know, it was like at a gay club, like the garage, the guys are ripping their shirts off they're jumping in the air, but a black crowd didn't act like that. But when I'm at 371, that's what the crowd was doing. I mean, girls are like, you know, they're almost shedding their sweaters and guys are putting their hats off. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> because at that era was the cool era you wanted to be cool exactly i'm standing there i'm amazed couple of records i go over to the booth i say hey hollywood i'm jerry Robert, jerry Pente- oh yeah i know you man blah, blah, blah. i said listen i got to get you downtown to the hotel diplomat i got to get you out of the bronx what you're doing here people in other boroughs need to see so we work out a deal i go home the next day i'm working on the flyer i get the flyer together and Then in a few weeks, I'm getting ready to debut DJ Hollywood at the Hotel Diplomat. So I'm giving out my flyers. People are like, oh, yeah, I heard about this guy, Hollywood. Man, I heard about this guy. And um, he ends up turning that first party out at the Hotel Diplomat. And everybody's asking me that Monday on campus, you're going to have him back again? when that guy, DJ Hollywood, is he going to be at the next party? So I started using him all the time. And at the same period, Casey, the Prince of Soul, Richard Hot, um, uh Flowers had passed away, but he wasn't really on the mic. But there's other guys starting to come out who were doing the same thing. Eddie Chiba, uh, Michael P, all of these other guys. And they were coming out with rhymes that related to the parties. And at that time, there was no Uber. People used to take an OJ. which was a car service. So they start rhyming about, oh, when the party's over, I'm going to get an OJ and me and my friends bring your friend with a girl that you're going to meet. So they're telling a story about what's going to happen after the party. And everybody's reciting this chant because they can relate to it. And this continued with all of these different individuals becoming popular. It was the beginning beginning of what we would call rap today, but it wasn't a full story. It was just these individuals creating the next step from a hype man, introducing the next record to telling a story over the instrumental part of the record that the DJ was playing to make people have a much better time.
1: So, all right, so we, we, we've we gotten from the, from the uh, people just putting on one record, then putting on two records and blending them, then a hype man. Now we've got the storytellers with DJ uh, Hollywood. In fact, uh, for the audience, if you missed last week's uh, show, we uh, had DJ Hollywood on as a special guest, so you can go back and and check out that podcast. Now, okay, so moving forward, um, we we've got that. Now, how did and if and you know if I'm skipping ahead, you kind of pulled me back a little bit. But now, how did disco and hip hop come together?
2: Very good question. You know, there's a lot of videos and there's been books written, there's college classes talked about how did hip hop start, the history of hip hop. And one of the misnomers, things, something that's not true is I've seen people say, disco had nothing to do with hip hop. Oh, disco was corny, it didn't last. Total BS. The first hip hop record by the Sugar Hill Gang I mean, what we want, they really wasn't called hip hop then. I have to distinguish is the difference between rap and hip hop. The first rap record which led to hip hop was the Sugar Hill Gang's record, and that record was really Sheik's record, Good Times. So, all they did was with some of their lyrics, they went to 371, they took some of what DJ Hollywood used to say. This guy, Grandmaster Cash, he had a book of rhymes. They took that record like a DJ would take, the instrumental part, the best part of it, and they created a story over it and took it to Sylvia Robinson, Sylvia and Joe Robinson, that had a record label uh, where they had, Sylvia was a performer herself. She had a big record, as you know, Pillow Talk. Mm -hmm. and They had a very famous group called The Moments, and they told them, hey, this is something new that all the kids like, this rap thing, and we got a rap story. So they just took the Good Times record, which was a disco record, and rapped over it and put it out as a 12 inch. And therefore, when they took it to the clubs, the people in the clubs were already dancing to Sheik's record. Now, instead of the lyrics of singing, what they're hearing is somebody rapping, telling a story over the same beat. So that first rap record would have never happened had it not been for disco. I mean, that's just a fact. So, people who weren't alive then, they don't know what they're talking about. Just like people say, rap started because they took the music out of the schools. That's total BS because New York City was going through a fiscal crisis, but you had DJs in every borough who were already developing, mixing records, talking over records. And a guy who wanted to play violin and he goes to school in September and they say, oh, the violin classes are canceled. He didn't go home and all of a sudden say, hey, I want to be a DJ. That's not what happened. But some people like to use that story. It's not true. As far as where hip hop started, the truth is it started in New York City. Yes, there were people who came out of the Bronx, Grandmaster Flash, he he actually perfected going from record to record, scratching, he was from the Bronx. 371 Club was in the Bronx. But the reality is that many of the, what you want to call early rappers from Reggie Wells, Eddie they uh, even DJ Hollywood is from 135th and 7th Avenue in
1: Harlem. So, Jerry, it seems as though we're having a little uh, difficulty with the uh, your uh, audio. Okay, so I tell you what. Let us take a break right now uh, while we fix Jerry's audio and i just want folks to know that uh i'm being sort of silent today because i do have a broken rib and if you've had a broken rib you know that if you laugh too much or you you move around too much it hurts so but the show must go on so uh we're here with jerry robach and uh, jerry is telling the untold story of hip-hop and we'll be right back don't go away
0: ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal, and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing Alexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today.
1: Harlem America.
0: It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town.
1: Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero.
0: You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to G. Keith Alexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Okay, so we're back after technical difficulty. We, uh, we had a, uh, a gremlin in the system there somewhere. We're back with uh, Mr. Jerry Roebuck, and Jerry was telling us about how uh, hip-hop and disco uh, came together. Uh, Jerry, continue on, please. We've got about uh, four minutes left.
2: Okay, so the next thing that happens is these hype men who was speaking over the records with the DJs, they start to become very, very popular. People want to know who they are. They're at all the parties that are happening. People are hiring these guys. Sugar Hill Gang, uh, those members of that group, they go to 371 and they hear through other people about DJ Hollywood and all of these other rappers. And um, they put out this first record and it just blows up. So Russell Simmons is a fellow student of mine at the City College of New York, as well as Curtis Blow. And um, we then decide to do a party, and Russell, uh, with his contacts, reaches out to a guy named Robert Ford, who was then the black uh, writer for the R&B music charts at Billboard. And uh, they get a connection through um, to Polydor, For a rap contest, and whoever wins this contest is going to get this record deal. So we do this party at the Hotel Diplomat with Curtis Blow, Eddie Chiba, Reggie Wells, all of the top DJs. Grandmaster Flash is there. There was no Furious Five then. It was just Grandmaster Flash. And um, Curtis wins the contest. So Russell gets the record deal for Curtis. It propels his career and Curtis's career. Within two years, uh, Run DMC comes out and uh, thus the launch of the first uh, involvement of major record labels with rap music. Um, Myself, I worked with Russell indirectly promoting Curtis Blow in his early years. I was the first one to bring Run DMC to do a performance in New York when they had their big record out, It's Like That, which was their first record. But I began myself to try to get labels to do a rap record. I went to um, Casablanca, I had a family friend uh, through my older brother who was a VP there. I met with them about rap music. I went out to LA and basically they had no interest. They were the hottest label, as you know, g Keep with Donna Summer, the village people,
1: everybody.
2: But they had no interest. They said rap was a fad. It wasn't going to last. They couldn't make money off of 12 inches. So thanks, but no thanks. Then about two years later, I had a group on Motown, So I go back out to L.A. I meet with Motown about my group. And at the end of the meeting, I tell them that this, you know, this new phenomenon, though it's in New York, it's starting to grow and that they call themselves the sound of young America. So why don't they have rap music? Why don't they have something that appeals to young people instead of the, you know, Supremes or the Miracles, these groups that were up there in age? And they listened to what I had, part of the record. Then they shut the cassette deck off, took the tape out, and gave it back to me and said, no, we're not interested in this. And Motown was out of business in two years. So uh, people don't know it was very difficult then to try to get a major label interested in rap music. It was only the independent labels, these small mom and pops that were promoting the music. And uh, you recall from radio, G-Keep, radio didn't like rap music.
1: That's right. In fact, uh, the, uh, it was very difficult to get rap music on for, for quite a while, but Hey, Jerry, uh, uh unfortunately we're going to have to have you back one day to, uh, finish this untold story. Cause we're running out of time. Uh, okay. but uh, I wanted folks to, to have a, uh, a real history of how rap began. And of course you're, you're the man. I'm G Keith Alexander it has been my pleasure. Although I'm here with a broken rib, I wanted the show to go on and, uh, the uh, check us out uh, on our website, harlemamerica.com. We've got more very interesting and very uh, special people that you can uh, check out. And in the meantime, I'm in pain. I'm going to say goodbye, Jerry. Thank you. So okay. Very, very much. Feel better. Oh, 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 Jerry, real quickly, we got uh, less than 30 seconds. Uh, tell us about your talk show.
2: Yes, I have a uh, web podcast on YouTube. It's my name, Jerry. Roebuck Talk, J-E-R-R-Y R-O-E-B-U-C-K Talk. I cover all trending topics, and I present a different view on the way you should look at something that's happening in the world.
1: Thank you so very much, Jerry. Have a great day and a better one tomorrow. Don't judge your brother or sister too harshly until you've walked a mile in his or her shoes. And Remember, life is tough, but you're tougher. I'm G. Keith Alexander. I'll see you next Friday.
0: Mm-hmm. Take that, take that, take that. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening.